Hello and welcome to episode 258 of section 138. I'm your host, Mark Colley, as always, joined by Bryson and Jacob. And we've got some real regular season baseball under our belts. It probably didn't go the way we wanted it to for a couple of those games. And even for the game that the Blue Jays won against the St. Louis Cardinals, there's lots of nitpicks, lots of things we can stress and be concerned about. But today we're going to break it all down for you. Bryson, Jacob, how are you guys? Doing good, Mark. The first one of the year, um, pretty accurate in terms of, I don't think it was the start that any of us predicted in terms of how it went. But of course, there's no question, despite how Thursday went on opening day, it was definitely an electric way to start the year. So I'm kind of glad out of all those games throughout the weekend, I'm glad that that was the way to start it. And uh, the best part is this team's back at it tomorrow night and hopefully some early season issues can be fixed uh, right away. Yeah, I mean, I was the one that predicted a sweep and I unfortunately almost had the reverse sweep. But no, I mean, it's not a good way to start the season, but it also is in the sense that like the first game was good, but the series overall little bit concerning and we'll obviously break that down but yeah it's just great to have baseball back it's great to have fantasy back it's great to be able to just sit in our in our discord server and talk literally the entire game and even after the game it's, it's just it what a time to be alive right now all right so where do we want to start do we want to go pitching first or hitting first which are we more concerned about right now jb you could do the honors i would say pitching I, like the offense pitching? it gave you at least a chance to win today the offense not saying four runs is enough, but it's obviously it's okay. better than, you know. So we'll start on the pitching side of things. I guess we can just go chronologically. We can start with the season opener back on Thursday with Alec Manoa on the mound. We were debating whether it should have been Manoa or Kevin Gosman on the mound in the opener. And, you know, we kind of decided like, yeah, Kevin Gosman should get the nod, but ultimately it doesn't matter all that much. It's kind of symbolic. It seems like we were right in that. Of course, we don't blame the Blue Jays for making that decision because we did say it was kind of a coin flip. But Manoa did not perform well in the opener. The Blue Jays won it 10-9, but Alec Manoa suffered and was knocked out of the game early. His final line was 3.1 innings pitch, 9 hits, 5 earned runs, 2 walks, 3 strikeouts, 2 home runs. Um, I, I don't know. His velocity was up which was something that was stressed during spring training as an area of concern. But I think that was kind of him speeding up his delivery and he suffered in other respects in terms of control. And he really didn't have an idea of where his pitches were going. And ultimately, it cost the Blue Jays. I don't think this is a long-term concern at all. I don't think any of the things we're talking about in this episode are really a long-term concern for anyone, at least for me. Bryson, you're making a face, so maybe we'll get to that later in the episode. But... I think Alec Manoa, it's a rough start to begin with. You obviously hope he's doing better, and you retrospectively have to look at it through the lens of the fact that the Blue Jays should have chosen Kevin Gosman to start the opener, but is it that big a deal? I don't think so. Where are you guys at with this? Well, first of all, Alec Manoa has not thrown or not had a start where he's allowed five or more earned runs since September of 2021, so... This was a blip. Very obvious it was a blip. The thing is, is you just said that the choice should have been Kevin Gosman. I'm going to disagree with you. And Dan Schulman at the start of the broadcast, he said something that was interesting. We obviously know what happened in the wildcard game. Alec Manoa struggled a little bit early, settled down, but ultimately was not great in that first inning and they ended up losing. Whatever. I don't blame him for the loss. But, and I'm not going to quote him here because I didn't take a direct quote, but what he said 
essentially Charlie, not Charlie Montoya. That's a different manager. Uh, <laughs> John. Sh- oh, I mean, that's I'm a throwback. That. Oh man. <laughs> um, essentially what John Schneider was doing, the actual manager of the blue Jays was he's putting Alec Manoa in a situation of importance, whether it's perceived importance of the, of, of game one of the, or of the season or game one of the playoffs. He's putting him in a position of importance. That's going to get him nervous so that he's able to manage those nerves. And, at the end of the day, we know what Alec Manoa can do. One of the top pitchers in the league right now, at least in the American League, top three in Cy Young last season. Could have done it the season before if he pitched a lot longer or earlier into the season. But I think at the end of the day, what you want out of these players, what you want out of the whole team, not just Alec Manoa, but what you want out of your star players is to be your star players when it matters. And obviously, game one matters just as much as game 162. But you're looking at it as a sense of, you need him to to be able to control those nerves. And yes, he's a very high-energy player, but you need him to take that energy and turn it into a, a quality start. And I mean literally a quality start, but also figuratively, you want him to perform well. And I think that that's really the key thing here. And so I'm not nervous uh, about his next start at all. I'm not concerned about him. I think he's going to start once more before the home opener. I think it'll probably be in Kansas City. Um, yeah, Wednesday. Or... Yeah, Wednesday. Okay, so yeah. He's obviously going to start once more before the home opener, but even the home opener, that's another test. Is he going to be able to conceal those nerves? There's going to be 50 plus or whatever it is. I think it's closer to 40,000 uh, fans at this point after the Renos, but he knows the importance of these games. It's in him. He wants to do well. And I think that's the key thing is you need him to be able to control those emotions because at the end of the day, this team does have World Series aspirations, not this season or not just this season, but for the next, I don't know, three, four, five, six seasons. And Alec Manoa is going to most likely be a part of that. And I, I hope he's a part of that. And that's why I'm not worried about him performing poorly. He's obviously got a whole season to work through things. He's probably got, I don't know, 30 more starts if things go to plan, but what I want him to do is be able to control his emotions in these big starts. And yeah, you get roughed up, but you come back the next one, you do well. Or you come back in two starts from now, you know it's the home opener, you know all eyes are on you, you're able to control yourself, and that's really all I'm looking at. Like, it's nothing about anything, no mechanics or anything like that. It's To me, it's just truly, can he perform in these big situations? And only time will tell, I guess, at this point. Yeah, uh... I, I definitely disagree with that entire notion of the Manoa nerves thing. For me, it's still Kevin Gosling that gets the ball on opening day, and nothing's going to change my mind about that. And once October happens or comes, we're probably going to have a, sim- a similar conversation. It's going to be interesting to see what happens on that. Of course, that is months ahead, but that is probably another situation where we're going to be wondering who's going to go game one, who's going to go game two. But that's just that's just the way I think of it. But um yeah, like in terms of Manoa, though, you know, maybe it didn't make a difference in terms of if he started or not started it or not. Uh, I do definitely think it was a little bit of a blip. Like, in my concern level is very low. Jacob, you mentioned the last time he allowed five earned runs, and then of course, Mark, you also mentioned the velocity was not an issue, and thank goodness it wasn't an issue because that was something where, in I guess, in difference to a guy like Chris Bassett, who we're going to be talking about. His velo remains down compared to what we were expecting. So I guess in terms of the velocity talk, there's two separate arguments. There are two different sides of what you see. But for Manoa, yes, uh, the velocity was up, which was a good thing. And that is not the issue. Pretty much the issue with what happened on him on Thursday was just the location. I mean, there wasn't any sort of 
you know, it just it didn't feel like there was a lot of command. He was throwing a ton of pitches, and there was a ton of mistakes in locations. I mean, you look at the very first home run he allowed to Tyler O'Neill. It was a fastball over the heart of the plate, which was number one. And then, of course, a couple other home runs he allowed. Basically the same thing. Balls hanging over the plate and just making mistakes in location. So he came out after the game, and he said... Uh, basically that he made the mistakes on bad pitches, which is why it'll be easy for him to fix. And if you look at what happened and look at the home runs he did give up, he's not lying in terms of uh, pretty much the approach on that and what happened or truly what happened on that. So that's why I definitely am not worried on that. I'm glad that he's going to be able to fix some stuff. There doesn't seem to be any sort of like long-term issues or anything like that. It just seemed like there was just mistakes in location and it should be able or it should be easy for him um, to, I guess, turn this around. Like you said, Jacob, he's got one more start on Wednesday uh, against the Kansas City Royals, and I think it would be game three, and then that's going to be his last start before the home opener. So he is in line for the home opener, and that is going to be, of course, that it, that will be his next test. But it was just, it was odd. Like, it was just, for me, it was really odd seeing him struggle as much as he did. Like, this was, you mentioned it, Jacob, first time since September of 2021 where he allowed five earned runs. We haven't really seen... Alec Manoa will give that much up before. And even on days where he has struggled, he's found ways to get around it and get through it and really battle through any sort of issues. The start that comes to my mind was last year, uh, at some point in July, it was in Fenway Park. You know, he he just didn't seem sharp. He left the dugout for a bit in between innings uh, when the team was hitting, and he was really grinding through some a couple issues that he was going through. I think it was, it was either before or right after the All-Star break. But in this case, it just, you know, he couldn't really get out of it. He couldn't find ways to get around it. But of course, I'm not saying there's any long-term concerns. It's just for me, and I'm sure for a lot of fans, it was just something that we haven't usually seen before in terms of him struggle, but I'm, I'm glad that he was able to come out after the game and pretty much recognize the issues right away. That's usually a good thing where he knows right away in terms of what happened. And t- other than maybe, you know, you got to look at film a couple times and really try and realize what you did. He just seems to have the answer. Hopefully he's not just saying that, but he, do- he does seem to have the answer right away of what happened. So there shouldn't be any long-term concerns there. He's going to get back on the mound on Wednesday uh, and hopefully he can just clean up the in, in terms of locating his pitches. And he should be fine in terms of getting ready for that uh, one more start before the home, the home opener. Seems like pressure is more than something you just put in your tires. At least in the case of Alec Manoa. That's two straight big games. His The last two starts he's made haven't gone according to plan. Um, and I know we talk about him as kind of this prototypical big game pitcher, big game performer. I guess we'll see in the home opener what happens, but... He hasn't lived up to that reputation in the past. So I guess to play devil's advocate, is he no longer a big game pitcher? Like, I don't believe this personally. I I still think the Blue Jays can put him in those situations and have him succeed. But I think it's interesting that the last two starts he's made that matter are both big games and he's kind of dropped the ball in both of them. So I don't know. I know that that's kind of a conversation that's going around. I think it's very unfair, and I don't believe it. But I think to play devil's advocate, there is a side, an argument that you can make that, you know, Kevin Gosman should be put into these situations in the future. And I guess we may end up in that scenario if Kevin Gosman opens the season, you know, with four, five, six solid starts and Alcmino struggles a little bit. Like, we we can see that order rejigged a little bit. But I don't know. Jacob, I, I feel like you got a good response to this one. I other than saying I just I I don't know I I it it's too it's early unfa- like, yeah, like we're yeah, working on a a, a one game mm-hmm. sample size this season yeah and remember like like I said this guy clearly knows how to pitch he was third in Cy Young voting one of the top pitchers last year 
if he played a full season, could have easily done it the season before. Like, there's a reason why his numbers are the way they are. He's not a bad pitcher. But look, you're, and I know it, it, it's all up to speculation at this point, but I think the nerves did truly get to him. And whether you want to say the same thing in the playoffs last year and in the, in the home opener this season, I don't know. And, you know, at the end of the day, he has a whole season to work through this. And, and we talk about game one of the playoffs. I think that's way too early. Uh, but basically what I'm getting at is I'm not concerned about him at all. I just think the nerves are something that need to get worked through. And I don't think that they will not get worked through. Like he's clearly a, t- a talented pitcher. All he's got to do is harness that energy and, and understand that. Yeah, he's, he's one of the best, like trust your stuff. He's one of the best pitchers. And obviously I can't do a full psychological analysis on him right now, but I'm not worried about him at all. He will do fine. He will be fine. And <laughs> The game itself, though, like it was just, it was odd. Like I, ta- I talked about in terms of just, it, there wasn't any pitching going on for either team. I, I mean, you look at Miles, uh, Mykolas, and he had the exact same thing. He was struggling, and it was just a game where everyone was putting up tons of runs. And then the bullpen kind of came in, and Zach Pop and you know Eric Swanson, they did well. They, there's no question, they pitched well. But then there was something I was going to ask you guys. There was a certain managerial decision to pull Eric Swanson with two outs for Tim Meza. And I hate to bring up any sort of bad memories, but it just felt very similar to a game last October. And I'm sure you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that entire decision by John Schneider to pull Eric Swanson out with two outs left in the, or one out left in the inning after recording two outs for Tim Meza. And then of course, we know that there was a lot of runs. Look, I'm just nitpicking. Of course, there's only this three games in, but when you look at the opening game, there seemed to be a lot of disagreement in terms of, or a lot of divided opinion in terms of what John Schneider did pulling um, Eric Swanson out early for Tim Mazin. Of course, it was just a wild game whatsoever. Basically, both bullpens were pretty much struggling. You know, even later in the uh, later in the game, Jimmy Jimmy Garcia came in. He had a bad uh, eighth inning, and then even earlier, Anthony Bass had a little bit of a, ra- uh, a rough inning too. And Jordan Romano was able to come in in the ninth inning and really hold it down. He looked really good uh, in his appearance in the ninth inning. But I wanted to get your thoughts on what John Schneider's decision making process was on that, and if you guys had any similar agreement, or if you guys thought maybe he what he did was the right call. It's too early to be criticizing a manager for those decisions. We're talking day one of the season. Like, I know, like, you can nitpick in some ways, but, like, look, it's day one. And I also, I also think part of the, the equation is that the Blue Jays had an off day right after. Like, it's not like we're going into opening day with the expectation of not having an off day for 10, 15 days and you got to manage your pitching. And in that case, yeah, I think I would be a bit concerned about, you know, why are we pulling this guy who's been effective and is not at that many pitches when we can keep him in and try to eat some of these outs here and get out of this situation faster and save save some of our other guys for other days. But like, look, it's opening day. You don't totally know what you have yet in the bullpen. You're still figuring out some of these decisions and who's going to go where and you know what leverage this guy's going to pitch in and what leverage that guy's going to pitch in. You're still figuring this stuff out and it's opening day and you have an off day the next day. So I think John Schneider, to be perfectly honest, was kind of using his bullpen changes liberally. He was saying like, look, these guys are all going to be rested by the time we play next. Let's see what we got. Let's put them in. Uh, Was it the best decision in hindsight? No. Like Eric Swanson is a better pitcher than Tim Meza, matchups or not. But do I blame John Schneider for it? Do I think it really matters that much? No. It's day one. It's day three of the season now. It's too early to be making these judgments. It's too early to be ganging up on John Schneider um, on day three of the season, on day three of a 
you know, him managing a team full time the first full season that he's gotten the majors too early. Give me at least a couple weeks before we start entering this conversation. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree with you. I disagree with the move, but like, what are we going to, you want to also criticize, like, there's only so many things you can criticize opening day and it was a wild game. Like there's, it's way too early to make these assumptions. And at the end of the day, I trust John Schneider. He did a a fantastic job at uh, half of last season. I have, I have confidence in him. I don't, I mean, except for maybe game two, but that's bit of a different story but anyways i remember trust last him. episode when you said you would never be mentioning that again on the podcast that lasted a I'm grand total about of like him, 15 minutes no, i'm talking about him as a manager not as uh not as uh not not that you game. know what you're doing <laughs> anyways what i'm getting at is i trust him and i don't think that one move that is a little controversial is, is anything to write home about fair yeah i just i i agree with you jacob i did not like the move but I'm not here with the pitchfork calling for his job. Like some people were. People were freaking out about that. And it's definitely an overreaction. But that's just, I feel like that's pretty much it, the way it is every year. It's always over, after that opening weekend, people are freaking out to the max in terms of certain decisions um, like that. But yeah, I mean, crazy game. I think it was a franchise record 19 hits on Thursday for the Jays. So that was pretty cool. I'm sure we'll dive more into that throughout the episode. But uh, just a crazy way to open up the air, ups and downs. It just, it was weird. There were t- moments in the game where you felt like, there was no chance they were coming back. And then there were moments where you really felt confident about that. And like that eighth inning was crazy when they took the go ahead lead. And it was just, it was definitely a pretty crazy way to open up the season. Before we get talking about the offense, I do want to banter a little bit about Chris Bassett because obviously the pitch com is a very big issue with him right now. And we don't totally really know what was going on today, but you know, he said in his post game comments, like, this is the first time he's ever had all of his pitches getting hit. That's what he said. You know, all, however many he has, six, seven, eight, every single one of his pitches that he was throwing was getting hit. And he said he was kind of in shock about that. But I, I think the pitch com thing, the pitch com conundrum that Chris Bassett is in with, you know, throwing so many pitches and having to call his own pitches because of the pitch clock. I don't know. It's weird. Like, shouldn't this have been figured out in spring training? Like, I know some of it is going to be down to experimentation and seeing how it works in real live regular season game action. But like, you should have figured this out in spring training. Why is this still an issue? Why is this still something that he's saying he's uncomfortable with and uncertain about on day one of the season? Like, he should be able to go out there and, you know, regardless of whether they're hitting his stuff or not, regardless of whether he's making the right calls or not, you should be able to go out there and be confident in the system that you've put in place because you've had all of spring training. Like, the Blue Jays have known this is coming since the day they signed Chris Bassett. They knew this was going to be the scenario. So, I don't know. I'm not... I'm a little frustrated that he hasn't figured it out yet, that the Blue Jays are still kind of on edge and uncertain about what they're doing with this. Like, look, it, it it's a regular season. The rubber's hitting the road now, and you got to figure it out. And I don't know why it wasn't figured out beforehand. I think the same thing can kind of go for Alec Manoa as well, like the whole calling your own pitches. I know Buck Martinez is really up in arms about this, but, you know, Alec Manoa was one of the guys who resisted using the traditional, you know, catcher to pitcher pitch com last season. And now he's using it with no one on base. And it's like, I don't know, like all this stuff should have been figured out in spring training. This shouldn't be something that we're debating in the first week of the season in my mind. So that was a bit frustrating for me. And I just hope like, I know it might be, I, I think this is my biggest concern 
out of everything that happened this weekend. Because I think with Chris Bassett, it may legitimately be an issue for a couple weeks until he really figures out how to use this system. Or the Blue Jays figure out that, yeah, the catcher's just going to have to take the lead and call whatever pitch they want. And Chris Bassett's just going to have to nod and smile and throw that pitch because they don't have time to go through seven different pitch calls. So I don't know what the solution to this is. It should have been figured out in spring training, and I am genuinely concerned that it hasn't been figured out and it appears to still be an issue for Chris Bassett and hopefully he isn't uncertain next time his spot in the rotation rolls around one thing I do want to bring up and obviously we can't play the clip right now uh, but somebody posted on Twitter a video uh, of basically Chris it was a side-by-side of Chris Bassett in spring training this season throwing like three or four pitches basically finishing an at-bat and it was side by side of last season where in that 30, 45 second span or whatever it was, 60 seconds, he was still calling his next pitch. And so it, I mean, it is something to, I guess, be a little concerned about. Like, you know, obviously you're not going to tell him, hey, you can't have this many weapons to get guys out. But it is something that needs to be worked out. Like you, you can't afford to have nine earned runs charged to you in your first season or your first start of the season or really any start of a season where your championship expectations are there. And I mean, look at it. Kevin Gosman was able to figure out his toe tapping. I, I don't understand how this wasn't figured out uh, for other pitchers throughout the season or throughout the spring. So it's a little concerning, but I, I do think that eventually they'll get through it. So I'm not, not worried long-term, but if it's not figured out within the next start, like if his next start or two are bad, then yeah, there, there's going to be, definitely some concern among among a lot more people speaking of pitchcom uh before i get into bass i just wanted to ask you guys did you not find it a little weird too that manoa like kind of reverted to pitchcom after what he said last year in terms of i want old school like did you guys not find that a little weird too i thought it was really weird yeah i guess maybe just he wants to very quickly say like this is what we're throwing but still it's like you you still have 15 20 seconds depending on the situation of course yeah and and then I, i guess going back to bassett yeah, like I, I remember early in the spring, and I full disclosure, I did say it in terms of I like him calling his own pitches and all of that. Now that you go through a spring, you go through a start now, do we, is that really maybe the best case for him now going forward? I don't know. Um, I know there was, look, his last start of the spring too, there, there was a little bit of talk in terms of that. And he came out after the game too in his last uh, outing of the spring, and he came out and said he felt that he was too distracted uh, in terms of calling his own pitches. And then as the start settled, or as it start progressed, he settled down. And that was something that actually happened in his last start of the spring, where he got roughed up a little bit early on. But then after the middle innings kind of show, or came into play, he settled down. And you, you, like you were saying, Mark, you figured that by then, this would not be an issue uh, come reg- or come the regular season. But today, uh, it was an issue. And of course, I just want to say, you know, he talks about the first time being roughed up or whatever. It, of course, like it just, of course, that happens when he's in a Jays uniform. I, I, I'll never understand it in terms of out of all the starts that he's ever made, he's making record or history in a, the other way in a Blue Jays debut. So of course that just happens, um, and that's of course really great luck on that one. But yeah, there, there was some, there were some red flags. Um, from his start today. I don't want to overreact either. I think he's going to be fine. I think it's just coming down to a matter of being a little bit more simple 
and not overthinking it in terms of pitch selection. And maybe that includes, I don't know, starting an outing off and not throwing as much at the beginning. Or maybe it does go, you know, by the next time his start comes around, which will be uh, at next week, maybe he just doesn't use pitch comment. Maybe it's Danny Jansen calling the shots. So that next start is definitely going to be intriguing uh, in terms of this whole pitch comment situation. But even that, I mean, I, I mentioned it a little bit off the top. And his velocity was down again, too. And I remember throughout the spring, it was one of the first questions he was asked when during spring training when players kind of join after their outing uh, in the middle of the game. And he said he purposely lowers his velocity until the end of the spring, until, I guess, he said his last start or two. And then he ramps it up. His last start of the spring, the velocity was down. You look at the game today, I'm, I'm sure that wasn't the only issue. Like, there was just everything that was going wrong from today. But his velocity was also down. I mean, you and you look at just the numbers and the contact he was giving up. I mean, I looked at five out of his eight pitches that he threw, and five of them had max exit velocities over 100 miles per hour. Three of those eight had an average of over 100 miles per hour. Like, that is disastrous in terms of giving up contact. But I'm not too worried. I just I don't think it was a very good way to start things off, obviously. You can really only go up from here, I assume. But... Um, it was just it was just a bizarre weekend from the pitching. I mean, we we came into this year and we were assuming and of course I still believe we assume that. It's just for us to say that the starting rotation was obviously the biggest strength and then you just see this happen this weekend. It was definitely a little weird. I mean, you look at the three days, I think it was twenty two earned runs. Uh so that's something to take note of on that one. It can only go up from here, but some definitely some issues in terms of Bassett and Manoa throughout the weekend. But I think coming out of today, I do agree with you, Mark. If I had to be a little bit more concerned than the other one, it would definitely be with Chris Bass. I just think he's got more to figure out in terms of the velocity question mark, the pitch comp question mark. And then once he I, once he settles both of those and gets those under control, I'm sure he's going to be a lot better as a pitcher and be a lot more consistent and comfortable. Because, of course, we've seen him pitch. We know how good he is when he's got everything going right for him. You looked at his numbers last year and throughout his entire career. He's been a solid big leaguer, a solid guy in the rotation, around a 3-4 starter in a really good rotation. And that's exactly what he is in this rotation. He's just got some stuff to uh, figure out right now, and I think he's going to be all right. Yeah, I have faith that he'll figure it out. I'm just worried that it might take a couple weeks because if he hasn't figured out pitch calm now, like why? I don't know. And I like, I'm fine with him calling his own pitches. Like I'm fine with whatever the Blue Jays decide to do. It's just, they got to make a decision and they got to do it now. And they should have figured it out in spring training because in the regular season is not the time to be feeling distracted and uncomfortable with this new technology that you've had a month and a half to figure out in spring training. So that's really where my frustration and my concern is, is that it's going to take a couple weeks to figure it out. Um, Okay, let's talk about the offense because that's also, I, I don't know, area of concern. It's it's a storyline from this weekend against the Cardinals. It's kind of punctuated by the Blue Jays' loss on Saturday, 4-1 to the Cardinals. They get no hit into the seventh inning, but they take 10 walks in the game. They go 0-11 with runners in scoring position. And they leave 12 guys on base. It's kind of, I don't know, one of the most bizarre lines you will ever see in a game. Um, the Blue Jays loaded the bases in the first inning, got two on in each of the second and third innings, and got a batter on in the fourth, and they didn't have a hit until the seventh inning. And somehow they still managed to score only one run. What do you make of that game? What do you make of the Blue Jays, I guess, lack of opportune hitting? As much as the opportune hitting and the clutch hitting was there on Thursday with tons of soft contact, they weren't getting those breaks on Saturday. 
It was frustrating to watch. And I don't know. I'm always concerned. When, I'm always encouraged when I see players taking walks early in the season. But I don't think this is something that we can credit the Blue Jays with. I think it was entirely the Cardinals pitching staff who could not throw a strike, especially their starter, to start the game. Yeah, it's... I don't know. I mean, obviously, you mentioned all those walks. Jack Flaherty just had zero command, and the umpire wasn't giving him the borderline calls. The only thing I will say, good on the Blue Jays. You see, Vladdy took how many? I don't even know how many walks. I had more walks than I can count on one. I think hand he walked three point. times. Three times. Okay, so but him, Varsho, Springer, like they all, even Bichette, like they all walked so much, and they had a lot of opportunities. And I don't want to single out players, but Brandon Belt had so many opportunities to just drive in a couple runs and even Vladdy in the ninth inning and, and the eighth inning, like literally all throughout this game, they had runners on an opportunity to score and they, they only scored on a wild pitch or it was either wild pitch or pass ball, but something like that, whatever it was called. But it wasn't, it wasn't a good look, especially after the 18 hits. Like when you think of it, Oh, we scored 10 runs and had 18 hits over uh, or 11 runs, sorry, and had whatever it was, um, 21 hits over two games. You're like, oh yeah, that's, that's not too bad. But you realize it's completely one-sided to the first game. And that is not, it's not good. And I mean, obviously today they scored more runs, four. But when you give up nine, there's only so much you can do. But it's, like we said with John Schneider, I think we just need more time. Like this team is a good team like let, let's not forget the, the cardinals did win the central last season or, or whatever division they're in they, they won their division so 93 wins uh, too better yeah, than the blue like, jays last year yeah exactly so they are a good team so it's not like it's not like they beat or they got beat by a, a team that they should have beat like yeah you got to beat the good teams in the playoffs but i'm not as concerned as 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 concerned as i thought i'd be i guess is the best way to put it and obviously they do play tomorrow um in Kansas City, not a team that you can afford to just give up wins to. I think that will be a bit more of a test. And I, re- I think the, the month of April is going to be uh, just the the biggest indicator of what this team truly is. And you have a couple runs through the rotation. You'll see the offense a little bit more. You'll see guys play more. I don't even, like, we haven't really seen Santiago Espinal much. We, like, you still need to see more from this team. And it, it, one and two is not a good look. Giving up that many runs is not a good look. The, the offense didn't give you that many chances to win, but I'm still not hitting the panic button. And I don't really think that I'm anywhere close to hitting the panic button. I think that this team definitely still has a lot to prove and we'll see how things go. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the issue is. Like, is it just trying to get a hit? Is it too many guys, like too many new guys trying to get a big hit? Kind of like uh, what happened with Matt Chapman last season. I don't know, but I say just give it some time. Like you had a rough opening season or opening series to start the season. Let's just give it the road trip and let's let's give them some time to get home and then we'll see where they truly stand. Yeah, I mean, you look at game two uh, on Saturday. It's just another bizarre one. But I just wanted to say with Brandon Belt, I guess, to start. Like, I'm, I'm not too surprised with, I guess, the slow couple games he had. Like, we have to remember the knee surgery thing. And we also have to remember, I think he came out afterward and said he didn't get into enough at bats or the the target that he had he did not reach in spring training. So I don't know how long that's gonna take him. For me, it's gonna I'm I'm willing to be a little bit patient with him, but of course, definitely some opportunities on that game though where he did uh struggle and of course he struggled multiple times and of course that's what you were referring to, Jacob. So uh completely understand what you were saying there. But I mean like th- three hits, of course, 
not the greatest thing. I think it was Kiermaier that got two hits, and maybe Bichette was the other guy who got the other hit. I think that's what it was. But the fact that you walked 10 times, and then, of course, the entire runners were scoring position topic, which is their favorite topic of the, on this podcast by far. But, of course, they go 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. Um, <laughs> that was definitely the concerning part. And then you look at Jack Flaherty, seven walks, like, that the most, that's the frustrating part for me is that you couldn't take advantage of seven walks. And then, of course, as the start went on, and I think early on, I think all of us understood of how Flaherty was playing or pitching. And the fact was, if you didn't get to him before he was pulled, because he was on track to be pulled early, no matter what was going on, he threw 49 strikes on 95 pitches. He was very inefficient, and he was all over the map. And um, I think the best course for them, if they wanted, of course, if they were going to win that game, was to get to Flaherty before he was pulled. And of course that did not happen. And it was basically just something where it felt like it felt like they were putting up good at bats to get on base. But of course when people got on base, uh, then it kind of just went the other way for them and they couldn't bring the runs in. So that was definitely the frustrating part. You looked at the way they played on Thursday on opening day. I thought they had good at bats that game as well. You can argue there was some good at bats as well today in the Sunday game. So I don't think it's been a matter of bad just playing like play from them. I just think that it's weird. Like they they have no problem getting on base. It's just cashing in the runs. And, of course, I'm talking about Game 2 in particular, where that was just a problem for them. And then, of course, they missed out on their opportunities on that. So, you know, there was some other stuff happening defensively. Uh, I don't think any of us predicted Matt Chapman to make a costly error, of course. But, of course, for Kevin Gosman, the worst luck in the world in terms of starting pitching. I've never seen anything like it when there's a ball in play. Um, that was definitely not something that we predicted. And that obviously came out to be one of the deciding factors in the game as well. There was a, another play uh, around in the eighth inning, I think. Eric Swanson was pitching. Kevin Biggio didn't make a really good throw to first base. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. couldn't scoop it or hold on to the bounce. That led to an, another run in the eighth inning. So there was just some weird, I guess, results defensively that uh, led to some runs. And at the same time, offensively, they were getting on base they just couldn't bring anybody home. And then I mentioned they were being, or Mark, you mentioned off the top, there were being no hit pretty much on, or until the later innings. And then Kiermaier got two hits, and Bobichet was the other guy who got the third hit. So their only run that game as well came from a wild pitch from Jordan Hicks. And I think that was just the the frustra- fr- frustrating part is that you couldn't get take advantage of Flaherty when he was still in the game. And he was basically just, you know, hanging on by threads the entire game. So that was definitely the. The, the part that obviously stung the most is that you couldn't get to him before he was pulled. But, I mean, seven walks is very hard not to take advantage of, and hopefully that was just a one-off because, of course, there was better at-bats today in the Sunday game. Yeah, I think bizarre is just a way to sum it up. Like, early season, the lineup isn't totally clicking together yet. It's just you got to chalk it up to that. I'm not really concerned about approach with guys on base or any of that stuff because I think the Blue Jays are going to be fine, and they did have really good at-bats at points in yeah. Saturday's game and even especially on Thursday and a little bit on Sunday. Uh, so I'm not concerned long-term or anything like that. I think you can just chalk it up to early season jitters or whatever you want to call it. Like you look at the offense last season and April, March, April, May, they were nowhere to be found and they really got going in June. And I know we lamented that for months at a time. It was at the always start of the season. And always. So, yeah, I mean, I hope that's not the scenario we're walking into this season. I don't think it will be, especially because last year you look at some of the other, you know, scenarios with the spider tack and all that sort of nonsense that hopefully we're going to avoid this season. But, you know, I 
I, I think this is something that's going to come out in the wash. I think the Blue Jays are going to figure it out sooner rather than later, and it won't be a problem. I just, bizarre is the way to chalk it up. But, you know, there's not many games when you can walk 10 times and get no hit into the seventh inning and lose the game while having bases loaded and multiple points throughout the game. Like, just a wild, wild final stat line. Um, Bryson, you mentioned defense a couple times. And so I'm going to bring up a topic that I feel like we talk about every single episode during the season, and I have a feeling we're going to be talking about it every single episode this year. And I don't think there's much more to say on this topic, but Bobachet, his defense was exactly what we've seen in the past, and the discourse around his defense was exactly what we've seen in the past. I'm kind of done with this conversation. The Blue Jays have him at shortstop. They know his value defensively. They know that he's not a great defender. They keep him at shortstop. Okay, let's stop talking about it. He's not going to move off of shortstop. The Blue Jays aren't going to move him if they haven't done it already. There's no fixing it, apparently, as much as we hear about him working on his defense and taking grounder after grounder after grounder, and he's the first one on the field every day. This isn't changing. It's just a fact of life. Let's get over it. Bobochet's going to make errors at shortstop. It's going to be frustrating to watch, but he's going to be the shortstop for the Blue Jays for the next three seasons while he works out his arbitration contract. So I'm done with this conversation, but I feel like we're going to be talking about it a lot this season because based off the little... Sample that we got this weekend of Bobachet's defense, it is no different than it's been in previous years, and so it appears that we're going to be getting that throughout the season. I'm curious what you guys made of what you saw and what you guys make of what people are saying about Bobachet's defense right now, because I'm kind of done with it. <sighs> it's the first defensive play. The Toronto Blue Jays were able to make in 2023 was a single reach on second because of Bobuchet's error. Like, like how? I don't understand this. The, I'm telling like, you, it's never changing. It's, it will not. This is like the Nate Pearson thing for me. Like, I'll believe it when I see it. I'll believe it when I see Bobuchet is a good defensive shortstop. But until I see it, I'm just going to assume that this is the the same for eternity. I guess Tulo's not first fixing all, anything. I don't know. The, first of all, let's leave Nate Pearson out of this because he's going to come up this season. Um, but anyways, it part of me wants to concede and say the same thing with you, but I don't think this is acceptable. Like you cannot be this bad defensively and on be on a winning team. Like you look at some of the best shortstops that around the league. Like he, none of these guys are this bad. Like you cannot literally have a highlight reel of bad defensive plays that is this long this long of a video clip of one player like it's it's bad and and the problem is is he's one of the best offensive players in the league like literally he's led the league in hits he's people have predicted that he could uh you know win the triple crown or batting champion probably batting champions more likely but i've seen people say that he could be one of the best hitters in all of major league baseball yet his defense is terrible and I'm willing to call it terrible. Like, yeah, he'll make the average play, but I'm at the point now where you want to talk about like classical classical conditioning. Every time the ball goes to shortstop, I, I just I feel nervous. Like it this can't happen. I should not be watching this team. I should not be watching players who are professional make this many errors. And I don't want to rip Boba shit anymore because I do like him as a player. <laughs> but the problem is, is this cannot happen. You need to be better defensively. And 
that's where it's tough. Like you don't want to knock somebody who's clearly putting in the effort. And we hear that he's the first one on the field, the last one off. I'm wondering when that's going to translate to on-field results because you can't have this type of defense. And the problem is he'll he'll go and make the flashy play. Like the first one of of game two of the wildcard series was like him jumping up and like a solid meter and a half into the air. And you see things like that and it's good. Or you'll see him do that where he catches the ball, does like a spinorama, guns the guy down at first, and he does a good job. But then he'll just do that. And then it's just... It's not good. Like he'll 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 make that same play and it'll just be an error and it can't keep happening in my opinion. And something needs to be changed. And I'm not saying change the player at shortstop, but eventually you cannot be a World Series contending team or even just playoff contending team and have to worry about oh is my shortstop going to make a a routine play. <laughs> um if you want Blue Jays Twitter to go up in flames, all you need is another Bichette error tomorrow. And then you need Jose Brios to struggle, and then it's just going to be a complete cesspool. So if that's what you're looking for on Twitter or for Blue Jays Twitter, that's exactly what you need for it to go crazy. So for our sake and for Blue Jays Twitter's sake, hopefully that none of those happen tomorrow. But like, yeah, like this is just an this is an endless conversation um, for me as well. I mean, I Mark, I actually do agree with what you said when you were talking about it, is that I think if they were going to make the change, uh, it would have happened by now. It just for me like. For me, I think we just need to understand the fact that Bo Bichette is a average fielder at best, maybe majority of the time a little bit below average, and what you have seen from him is what you will be getting out of him. And then, of course, at the same time, you hope for his bat to kind of make up for all the mistakes that he could make. Now, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. I just think that's a, pretty much the position the Jays are in with that. And I really don't, like, I don't really see a solution. Uh, I mean... If you're obviously if you're ever if you were ever gonna move him, it was gonna be to second base. But for me, I don't I don't know. I just I don't think it's gonna happen at this point. I just again I feel like it would have already happened by now and it's just something where I mean, of course, to kick off the season that happens. And then even there was a throw later in the game on Thursday where it kind of it took Vladdy off the bag and then he kinda of had to tag the runner out. So Couple scares on that part, and I don't know how much more or if it will be better than 2022. Obviously, obviously, it's way too early to tell. But for me, yeah, I just I'm getting to the point where I don't know what else to say other than this is who he is, and it just feels like if they were going to make the change, it would have already happened. And I think what they have right now is what they're rolling with, and that's pretty much Bobichet being an average fielder at best. And I think we just need to come to terms with that. And in terms of making up for all that, he's got his offense, which is elite or can be elite. And that's what you need to happen in terms of him at the plate. So you can kind of, I guess, you know, make up for the defense or, you know, it's just, it, of course, it's not the greatest thing to say, but I just think that that's the position they're in. And I think obviously they're fine with it if they haven't made any changes to it now. So for me, I just, I don't really see anything else happening at this point with it, but it is kind of, interesting to see the topic of conversation come up very fast uh the way it, like it did on thursday some things never go away and this is one of those things that will never go away it's an endless conversation and i have a feeling we're going to be talking about it for a couple more months slash seasons uh because it's not changing like there's no point uh debating it or debating whether the Blue Jays should move him because they're not. They haven't. They're not going to. Some things are never going to change. Um, I think it's just a fact we got to live with this season, and hopefully we aren't talking about it too much. Um, okay, some of the other standouts from this week. I mean, George had a really good first day. I 
like it was great, but there were so many like dinks and dribblers and squibblers and fly balls that drop in. Like the the amount of soft contact that was dropping in on Thursday's game made you think you were watching a Kevin Gosman start from last season. Like it was ridiculous how lucky the Blue Jays were getting. It was incredible to watch. But again, with just one of those bizarre games that everything that seems to you know, there could be that could happen, seems to happen. And so, I don't know. George had a good game. Don't take it away from him. Bobachette did have a good game, despite, you know, the defense that we're talking about. He did make up for it with his bat in that game. Um, there were some nice defensive plays as well. Uh, I mean, Dalton Varsho cutting off that ball in left field, George Springer catching that ball in right field, saved a couple runs on both of those plays. Um, I don't think those are plays that we see Teoscar Hernandez or Lourdes Goriel Jr. make. So, we're seeing some bonuses already in terms of the defensive improvements that the Blue Jays made. Um, I don't know. What are some of the other standouts from this weekend? Well, I just want to highlight that one thing you talked about, Dalton Varsho, that on the I think it was the first run that the Cardinals scored in, in um, or on Thursday's game. One thing that's important to note here: the runner was going from second to third on the play, and obviously the guy going from home to first on the play. Dalton Varsho cuts the ball off. If this was last season, that ball's going to third base. Runner's going to second base. You got second and third with Ruthless. whatever, I think, less if than two. If this is last play. year, the runner scores because Lourdes Gurriel Jr. doesn't cut that ball off. Ruthless, that ball rolls guys. to the wall. Oof. The runner scores. Mm, well, that's what I mean. So you see that Dalton Varshall obviously is a better defender, but I think he also, and I don't mean this in a bad way for Lourdes Gurriel Jr., but I think it's going to sound bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Dalton Varshall and Kevin Kiermeyer are smarter baseball players if that makes Ruthless. sense Absolutely. because well because it's one of Varsho's first plays of the season and instead of saying oh let me try and gun him down and maybe make a flashy play you're not getting anybody out first of all like just get the ball to second base limit the damage and that's what one of Martinez or Shulman said one of them said that where limit the damage you're going to give up a run okay who cares get the next guy deal with that and then I think another thing you see Guys like uh, Whit Merrifield and Kevin Kiermeyer again, on a lot of those bloop singles, you see Kevin Kiermeyer just effortlessly running or jogging, whatever you want to call it, a little bit. He realizes the ball's going to drop, bolts from first to third. And you're seeing, I'm not saying that they would have done that last season, but you're seeing that I think there's just a lot, there's more baseball IQ on this team, if that makes sense, than there was last season. And I think that, yeah, the results were not great in St. Louis, but. If you're looking for reasons to be optimistic, there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic, and I think that this still will be a very good season, maybe even better. Like, we talked about Brandon Belt needing some more time, Chris Bassett needing some more time, but in terms of the regulars, like, well, most of the regulars, this was a good series. Just, you're going to get wins eventually, and so let's just hopefully put this one under the rug, and we'll see what, what Kansas City happens to be. Yeah, I mean, definitely some ruthless comments, but I'm not saying you're wrong. Uh, you guys would definitely get a kick out of Teoscar Hernandez's throw on Friday night. I don't know if you guys saw it against Cleveland, but it, I didn't want to mention it did, it. did cost a couple of runs, but I'm not here to I'm not here to bash former Jays. But I do I do think you're right, Jacob. I do think that. Actually, oh, yep. I just want to say I'm not trying to bash. No, no, no. no, no I'm no, just no. saying yeah. that this team it it feels like an upgrade over last season. I agree. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I. I think the highlight for me, and you mentioned it, was pretty much on Thursday. It was the it was the bottom half of the order, of course, in the first um, in the first game again, 
Whit Merrifield gets on, and then it was a leadoff walk in the in the top of the ninth, and then Kevin Kiermaier, uh, Kiermaier singled, and then of course Springer single. Like you talked about, Jacob, I I kid you not. When I was watching that game, when the ball dropped, I immediately started freaking out of where was Kevin Kiermaier because usually you're waiting you're usually waiting in between first to second if there's going to be a bloop like that and then there's going to be a play uh, at second base because of the force and the fact that he was already at third base and the camera didn't even catch him I think that was crazy but it gave me a little bit of a panic attack because I had no idea where Kevin Kiermaier went and that was my (laughs) first thing that I pretty much screamed but I mean, that was smart. I, I really liked the weekend that Dalton Varsho had as well. I mean, he had a couple of really big hits, especially in the first game. You talked about the play he made cutting off uh, the runner in the first game as well defensively. In today's game, on the Sunday game, I know he kind of had the sun issue, but then later in the game, he made a really good defensive play. He also had a really good game today against lefties. I mean, he got a couple hits, and a lot of there's some questions about him hitting cleanup today against the lefty on the mound. I'm glad that he got a couple of hits. Of course, they looked uh, they showed his splits last year, and there was definitely a big difference in terms of production versus lefty hitters and righty hitters, and I'm glad that today he came out uh, pretty much and had a couple good hits. And I thought Matt Chapman as well today in the third game had a couple of solid hits too. I think it was three hits that he had today, and all of them were solid. And I'm glad that he was pretty much getting in front two of the ball. And two doubles. One of them was the RBI double, of course, that brought in the run. And he looks good at the plate so far. So those were some highlights for me today as well. He made a good play as well defensively at third base today. So I'm glad that there was, you know, there was that going on. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. also looks locked into me as much as he had a bad at bat yesterday in game two at the end of the at the end of the uh, game when he struck out. You look at his first game when he walked. I think it was three times. He looks comfortable so far out of those first three games. Of course, still have to see a little bit more. But I thought he got off to a really good start on Thursday at the plate, and uh, definitely some good takeaways on that. And hopefully. He's, these carry over into Kansas City, and this gets even better. So the offense for me so far, definitely nothing uh, to be concerned about. And, of course, George Springer's five-hit game on Thursday as well. I mean, he was just finding, no matter where he f- he hit contact with the ball, he was finding ways to get on base. And that's exactly what you need from your leadoff hitter. So that was pretty cool as well. And, of course, Kevin Kiermaier on the bases, like, like I mentioned off the top, he also had a couple good hits as well. Uh, he had a really clutch hit in the first game earlier, in, I guess, in around the middle innings. And I think, you know, the fact that he's getting on base – and a little bit more than maybe the ninth hitter did last year, whoever it was, that also gives more opportunity for George Springer to get up with the guy on base. I think that's also could be crucial for this lineup throughout the year. So those are definitely some takeaways uh, from this weekend. Yeah, I wonder how much of the kind of soft contact thing that we saw this weekend was the shift and how much of it was just like pure action. So I guess we'll see. I Yeah, like the baseball we watched this weekend, as frustrating as it could be at times, it was all very exciting. I mean... Friday or Thursday's game, throwing that time out the window because that was like what three forty or however long it was three thirty four hours. Yeah. We had good game times for the other two games and across baseball. I mean, we at the, there was the Yankees game on the opener was like two twenty or something like that. Ridiculous. When was the last time a Yankees game didn't go three and a half hours or longer? So I mean, I I like the rules so far. They're working. Um, it's fun to see them in action and the fact that, you know, it doesn't really seem to be affecting things too much. I know there was like a little confusion with Alejandro Kirk who his earpiece wasn't working or he forgot his earpiece and then the Blue Jays got a strike or a ball called, whatever. Like there's going to be those hiccups, but so far I'm a fan of the rules and how they have worked out so far. Um, okay, so we got four games against the Kansas City Royals. The Blue Jays will have everyone except for Chris Bassett going. We're going to be keeping an eye on all the starters, after what we saw this opening weekend, uh, were especially keen on seeing Jose Brios in game action. And, of course, 
The biggest variable of them all, Yusei Kikuchi, will be going in the second game of this series on Tuesday, and then we'll also see Alec Manoa run it back, and we'll also see Kevin Gosman get his second start of the year. We'll be keeping track of things defensively as well. So uh, without further ado, let's go to our series predictions. Last week, I said 2-3, to three. Bryson, you said 2-3. to three. Jacob, you went with the sweep over the Cardinals. So I want to keep track of this over the course of the season, see how we all fare relative to each other. So just putting a point system on this, it's plus one for a game you get right. It's minus one for a game you get wrong. So for Bryson and I, we're both at one point for the first series because we predicted two wins, one loss. Jacob, you're a negative one point because you got one of the wins right, but you got the other two wrong. Uh, what do you think? Four games in Kansas City. What's going to happen? Do it. Do it. I want to hear what you have to say. because <laughs> I, I I can go I'll first. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'm going three and one. Uh, I think they kind of have to do that after opening with the series and say, like, I don't know. A split is fine. It's not the end. We're in the first week of the season. But I do want to see the Blue Jays take three to one. And I think they will. Um, I have a lot of faith in Kikuchi. I have... I think Manoa will bounce back. I think Gosman will have another good start. I think the start that I'm confirmed about, concerned about is Barrios uh, on Monday. So I think the Blue Jays will lose that one, but I think they'll win the next three. Jacob, do you want me to go? Or... Yeah, okay, you know what? So we don't end this on a negative note. I think they're going to split it. <sighs> I, like I, I think there's From a few the more coin flips. From the split? Yeah. It's... I'm not saying they're going to have a bad season, but I'd, I the opening couple series are I don't know I think they're just coming out of the gate a little bit slower than we expected I mean I hope not you predicted 96 wins with me buddy you can't already change your your mind on that one only 95 more to go (laughs) not really it's over over 100 I think it's 159 or 58 now so but yeah anyways um wait what no 90 no 95 wins yeah in terms of total games though anyways um yeah, I was I was torn on either going split or three out of four. I definitely was not going to go sweep. I'll go with Mark on this one again. Why not? It worked last time. I'll do it again on this point. I'm going to go three out of four. Um, I, I, even regardless of who you're playing, the four-game sweeps are always the tough ones anyway. So the fact that you can come away from three out of four going into Anaheim uh, on the weekend, I think that's definitely something that can be achieved. Definitely going to be <laughs> – there's going to be a lot of eyes on Monday and Tuesday. Those are going to be interesting. Um for everyone's sake online, I really hope it goes well uh, for Burrios and Kikuchi or else there's going to be some issues. But I agree with you. I think Manoa's going to be fine. I think Gosman's going to be fine. So I guess I'll say one of those games are going to lose will either be Monday or Tuesday. I just don't know which one it's going to be because I really don't know how either of those games are going to go. But it's going to be exciting to Put watch. faith in Kikuchi. Kikuchi's going to pull out with a you know fantastic what? start. If you're going with Kikuchi, I'm going to say Burrios gets the win tomorrow night. I think that's my uh, pick. That's my guy this year, I'm, Burrios. I'm... I'm like genuinely nervous about how Barrios is going to pick, yeah. but I have a lot of confidence, whether right or wrong, probably wrong, in Yusei Kikuchi. So we'll see what happens. But I'm really excited for these next two games. I think even more than this series against St. Louis, I'm really excited for these first two games because Barrios and Kikuchi are going to be so much fun to watch. Could be terrible to watch, but I'm anticipating them being fun. At least we're going to start to get some of the answers to these things that we've been talking about forever and ever and ever. Um, Okay, as always, you can support our podcast by heading to the link in our bio on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We're at Section138Pod. Or you can go right below this episode and find it there. You can join our Discord from that link. You can support us and buy us a coffee from that link. And then you can also just obviously check out all our social media pages and check out our YouTube, which we have 
episodes at as well. So we'll be back on Thursday or Friday morning talking about a four-game series against the Kansas City Royals. We'll see you. Later.